Hi there, welcome to the Shift Control Podcast. Um, welcome to or welcome back to. Uh, my name is Paul McAnallen. Thanks for joining me on the second episode in this series um, in 2020. Um Thanks very much to those of you who got in touch with me following the first episode, which has kind of led the tracks for the content of this episode. Um, I had a few people getting in touch, um, commenting positively on on the on the previous episode, which you obviously take very kindly to. Um, I'm not sure that I'd be welcoming um, critical comments, but I suppose that's the life we're in. If you want to be um, broadcasting or publishing or writing blogs you're willing to encourage comment then you have to respect the comments that come at you regardless of whether they're positive or negative. Um, it made me think about um, biases and there was a book last year um, I think it was published last year I, I read it last year uh, Choice Factory by Richard Shelton um, which is a book that's um, covers 25 behavioural biases that influence consumer behaviour and it's a really interesting book if you're interested in that sort of thing. Um, I was interested really in um, biases um, this week and last week mainly down to the behaviour of um, politicians locally um, the behaviour of Leo Varadkar um, and his view on the celebrating and commemorating the RIC and the Black and Tans and the auxiliaries and all that sort of stuff. And um, Donald Trump, who decided um, pretty much, seems of his own volition, to um, take a swipe at, at Iran. Um, and the idea was that, that um, Leo Varadkar um, evidently thought that what he was doing was right. Now, these guys have all sorts of research teams and people going out to assess consumer or political um, opinion and so on and so forth before they make these big sweeping claims in the media but uh, it seems that he didn't really uh, cover off all the bases because he's had to pull back or the government have had to pull back on the commemoration uh, of the black and tans um you know Commemorating the Black and Tans would be the same way as somebody in Germany deciding to commemorate the SS. Um, they're a part of the history and all that sort of stuff, um, but it's something that you really don't need to be talking about um, if you want progress and you want to move on, um, in my humble opinion. Trump, on the other hand, just decided, right, it's time to bomb some of these uh, Middle Eastern countries, and he uh, took a swipe at Iran and Trump is um, obviously a very, very divisive figure politically, as indeed are the Americans very divisive in terms of their their global political position. Um, but I'm reminded of the night of the American election and the night that I went to bed, uh, woke up the next morning and Trump was president. And I couldn't believe it. You know, I genuinely couldn't believe it. And part of me to this day still cannot believe that that asshole is the president of the United States uh, but he is um, and the day after the election and the week after I met with a guy who's a student of he has a degree in American politics so he kind of has, has a good understanding of um, how that machine works and political thinking and so on and so forth 
and he said like it was a really dark time in American political history. And at the time, I was saying, you know, yeah, but like, he's not going to be around for that long. He's probably going to resign in six months and hand the keys over to somebody else, and uh, or he's going to be found out, or he's going to be, you know, impeached or whatever it was. And and what three three odd years later, he's still there. So I had really fixed bias on Donald Trump. I've obviously got a really fixed bias in the black and tans. Um, I got a fixed bias on my music. I got a fairly fixed bias on the kind of music I like and the music that I, I'm not so fond of. I've got political biases that are informed by where I grew up, when I grew up, what I read as I grew up, um, all the people's thinking around me and so on and so forth. So I come to an opinion that I, I my view is right for me and for those people around me and for the good of society and so on and so forth. But it is completely biased. So... Shotton in his book has 25 behavioural biases that influence consumer behaviour. But if you go online, you can find out that there are not hundreds, but there are significant lists of bias, biases, that, if that's the plural, um, <clears throat> that, that influence uh, behaviour and thinking, not only what we buy, but how we think and then how that influences what we do. And you've got, you know, I'm just, just I'm evidently reading these out, but from confirmation bias, base rate bias, conservatism, continued influence effect, courtesy bias, the curse of knowledge, default effect, expectation bias. So alphabetically, I'm only up to E here, and that's one, two, three, four, five, eight, okay? Escalation of commitment, uh, optimism bias, ostrich bias, or overconfidence effect, of which I suffer. Uh, social, um, social comparison bias, Parkinson's law of triviality, etc., etc., etc. Okay, so you've got all these biases reconfirming that what you think, what you say, what you ultimately would do at the ballot box, what you'll do in the shop, uh, what you'll do online when you buy confirms that what you do at that time you think is right. Um, and on the day that Facebook had decided that publishing political lies on their platform, stroke medium, is not going to be illegal, um, I'm reminded of the time that I was on Facebook and Twitter in my own in a personal capacity and um, I never was really fully exposed to the other side's thinking. So all of the people that I was following um, were either moderates or were liberal in their thinking. I'm unashamedly very proud to be um, left of centre and sometimes left of left of centre and sometimes well left um, and I'm proud of that. And I think that those are, I can justify and validate my thinking on certain criteria, um, which I've mentioned just previously. But in a parallel universe or somebody 10 miles away from, from me or wherever it is, there are people who think exactly the same about their right wing um, viewpoint. Um, I had a cup of coffee with a guy that I went to school with um, last summer and um, I hadn't seen him for, for maybe 30 years. And we were talking, um, small talking, and then got straight into, um, for some reason, into Brexit. And it became apparent that he was only about two steps away from alt-right fascism. And I couldn't believe it. But, I, you know, of course I should believe it because that's as logical for him to think that way as it is for me. We were brought up, went to the same school, but um, since then we have uh, our decision-making and our thinking has been formed by experiences on what we read and what we say and who we hang out with and so on and so forth. 
Um, anyway, what's the point of this? This podcast is supposed to be about sales and, and marketing, um, uh, or my experiences and uh, of sales and marketing and business development. And the reason that um, I want to talk about bias in this is is that at this time of year, or probably well before now, and most likely October, November last year, businesses are now buckling down into strategies they think will deliver everything they did in 2019 plus a little bit more. And that will be based on a lot of biases. And some of those biases will um, be based on um, emotion, personal thinking, but typically they will be based on um, what the bottom right-hand corner of the spreadsheet says. Profit and loss, where did that come from? Who did it come from? How do we get it to come from there? And can we repeat the process? Now, that's not to say that happens everywhere, but most people that I'm working with seem to to, um, base a lot of their future thinking on current activity because ultimately it takes a really brave... It's a brave step for any business to decide, okay, you know, we've been doing this for 25 years, it's working out okay, and now we're going to change completely and try and do it a little bit better. It takes a lot of thinking, it takes the right culture, it takes the right people, it takes the right planning, it takes the right finance, it takes the right market conditions, it takes a whole lot of things that are in your control, but a whole lot of things that are outside of your control to work perfectly so that you can drive the business forward. Um, so those biases come with you to this point and salespeople are out knocking doors and sales directors are now halfway through, well, second week, um, maybe the first week back into the new year and all that positivity that they're trying to throw into their work is all predicated around plans that are based on biases and repeat behaviour and and that um uh, if it's been always right, it will be always right. So <clears throat> it's not easy to change those biases. Um, if you're going out into the market as business development and you've been telling the market the one thing all the time, you know, be that through your brand values, be that through your pricing, be that through your market territories, be that through your numerous value propositions, be that through um, your people, you know, you have to work on the basis that all that stuff is right to start off with. Um, but it's not always that easy to be right in this context. <clears throat> two clients of mine specifically, but one for 15 years and one more recently, the two of them have been talking about an, uh, the notion um, or the idea that um, it's really important that you see the picture in the other person's head. In fact, it's as important as anything that you fully understand the picture that's in the other person's head before you try and go about persuading them that you are the best option for construction, manufacturing, engineering, recruitment, media, automotive, whatever it is, okay? Whatever sector you operate in, whatever you're selling, you have to try hard to see the picture in the other person's head. And if you've got biases that um, are systemic or have been inherited or ingrained in your business that you think that you're right because... um, it's easy to ignore what's going on in your customers' heads. I've worked with a lot of uh, companies last year and some of the work that we're doing um, seems to be only scratching the surface of of how customers think. I'm not talking about what the customer needs and 
how those needs match what you're offering or what you're trying to sell. It's about fully understanding the pain points and fully understanding um, the, the, the deeper needs of customers and that's uh, work that's undertaken when you're really close to customers. Um, and it's hard not to have those biases that you think you're the best in the market because market share says that or you think you're good for customer service because you don't have any complaints or you think you're good for X, Y and Z. It's a big challenge but it's worth thinking about and it's worth thinking about how you can empower your salespeople to feel that way. And you know, like just like the comments I got last week, which from last week, which were unsolicited in the main. Um, I always say like I'm interested in your feedback, but I'm not really interested in the bad stuff you've got to say, because like the ego is very fragile, and um, it's uh, I'm not doing this here to turn. Um, it's a channel to market. It's a way for me to get across um, the competencies that I have, the the skill set that I have. I'm not trying to be famous in broadcasting. Like I'm trying to do this to get a message across. Um, but I still would rather hear no feedback than bad feedback. And really, the truth of it is, if I got bad feedback, whilst I'd be smarting from it, I would probably do something about it. But when you ask your customers for the same thing, you know, do you continually ask uh, for feedback? Um, you know, do do your account management teams or your retention programs do they spe specifically ask for market research and feedback from your customer base to find out are they truly happy what does happiness look like to them um, what does a okay look like um, uh, things are okay yeah they're not too bad what does that look like what does it mean how high are their expectations um, one or two companies that I was very fortunate to work with at the tail end of last week have got the culture um, part of their business just completely fixed and it works really well and they're making money like there's no tomorrow and the MD will walk around the business and he will encourage the people within the office to, if they've got problems, to talk about it and these people look like they're all on site together from people in a warehouse all the way through to the sales all the way through to the accounting team, they're all pushing in the one direction and it's deadly to watch. It's really, really um, reassuring to know that there are people who are putting that much effort into customer experience and and um, employer stroke employee value propositions and so on and so forth. And then there are other companies that talk about it and say we're number one and they, they promote themselves and their marketing messages or from a distance they kind of look okay but when you get close to their businesses they're off track completely and they've lost sight of their customers and I'm not saying it's easy but I think it's easier if you bring somebody in from the outside to to kind of um, first of all encourage these kind of conversations because they need to be had all the time in my humble opinion or they need to be had more frequently than they're, than they're occurring and it's regardless of businesses of whatever size and whatever sector you're in um, because you know it can start off as innocuous as saying, should it, should it? no, that's the website looks dead on, or I will have had no complaints, and you don't encourage feedback, and all of a sudden you become known for it. Whatever you say, say nothing, because that website's awful, or our logo's really dated, or our marketing message isn't right, but you can't say it because you don't create an environment where those kind of conversations should thrive and flourish. Um, that's one thing that's the, and I'm still on the same the same lead here about biases so if you're biased on your business first of all is that you're you know we're okay and things are going good here 
um, and you're not trying to encourage communication and conversation from your customers to a to find out, you know, come back to customers that stopped trading with you and find out why and what the problem was, and then go into your staff and find out what challenges they have. The bigger the picture you have, the better you you're able to communicate. Um, and secondly, the idea that, that salespeople are going out and they're asking um, all the wrong questions of the right people, and they're not—they're afraid. They feel uh, don't feel empowered to ask their customers questions that will um, stimulate a conversation where you're looking at holes, you're looking at flaws in the service of the product. But it's only by looking at the flaws in the product or the service or the customer relationships or whatever that you can firmly improve and you can grow your business in in, in 2020. Um, It's very easy to go through sales process by ticking off all the boxes, by going through the five-stage process or the eight-stage process or whatever it is you use and coming back and ticking off all the boxes and getting some business and whatever else. but if you're restricting yourself to your own viewpoint, then you're not fully going to um, experience the possibilities that exist in the business and with your customers, if that makes sense. Um, part of the training programs that, that we run, <coughs> that we run, I, I work with um, sports psychologists and psychologists and other sales trainers to come in and um, work with teams of different levels of um, expectation and performance. So it's not always high performance. In fact, more often than not, it's low to medium performance that we're working with and trying to move forward. Because um, high performance sales is a really, um, you know, again, it's a definition. What does high performance look like? You know, if you win, if you win your junior football championship. Um, or you win the Champions League, um, you know, you win the Champions League and you've never won it before, then it's definitely high performance, but um, there's a certain degree of relativity and um, certain a certain um, expectation management that's required as well. Uh, so the, like the idea that when we're working with people, it's like we spend a lot of time trying to find out what they perceive the real problems that their customers have to be and um, what do the customers really need. This last, I think the two weeks prior to Christmas, the customers around the country are inundated with hampers and calendars and um, all sorts of end-of-year gifts, bottles of wine and all that sort of stuff that um, you know, is, is sincere and and, 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 all, and all that sort of stuff. But do people really want a calendar um, on on the 23rd of December? Um, do they want you know, a box of Harrods or Fordham Mason's pate or whatever? Um, or just do they just want to be looked after throughout the year and know that whenever you want to do something, you do it properly and um, you say you're going to call back at half past three, that you do call back at half past three, or so on and so forth. Um, box of, ham- box of you know, wine and, and hampers don't really disguise those gaps throughout the year, but that's from sitting down and trying to learn um, what really influences your customer, and those are sometimes very hard questions to ask. Um, sometimes they're very, very hard questions to ask because you don't fully understand um you know, it's a real test on the relationship. It's a real test that 
know, can I ask this question without being nosy or impudent or hyper inquisitive? I think um, there's a way of asking those questions too. I hope that makes sense. Um, it just dawned on me this last couple of days that um, in all the electioneering and all the voting that we have been has been forced upon us here locally and in, in the north and Ireland and in, in England and wherever else, um, that we probably all go to to the little um, voting booths with the little tickets and we probably think that what we're doing is right based on what we think we've always done and is always right and the media that we suck in and the people we hang out with and the sports and the cultural references and everything else. And um, It's dawned on me as well that in the North we've got a disproportionate amount of politicians who come from a legal and a PR background. Um, I don't know how many there are an MLA or um, councillors or whatever, but there's a whole clatter of them came through last year. And um, yeah, I think the last thing we need are people who are experts in boards and maybe some people who are actually experts at doing things. Um, there's no legal brain or PR person who's going to fix the health system in, in the north or fix the homeless problem, but it might give them enough to talk about in their, in their, um, when they're having their dinner parties. Anyway, that's a rant and a rave for me. Uh, thanks very much for tuning in. Um, please do feel free to get in touch. You can get me through my um, website, which is shift-control.co.uk. You can find me an email, um, info at shift-control.co.uk or paul at shift-control.co.uk. I'm on LinkedIn as well, um, if you're interested in reaching out that way. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, but that's personal. So, um, yeah, I'll see you next time around. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.